Today then we're going to start the second section which is regarding i'tikaf and also the taraweeh prayer and also Laylatul Qadr and the last 10 nights of Ramadan. So initially then we'll start with the section talking about i'tikaf and the taraweeh. What is the definition of i'tikaf? I'tikaf in the Arabic language means لُزُومُ الشَّيْءِ To stick to something and to remain there. To stick to a particular place and to remain there. To stay there. That is the meaning of i'tikaf in the Arabic language. So then it becomes clear what the meaning of i'tikaf is, Islamically speaking. That is, to stick to the masjid to stay in the masjid, to free yourself up for the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the Islamic definition of i'tikaf. To stay in the masjid, to free yourself up, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with prayer, with Qur'an, with dua, dhikr, that you free yourself up in the masjid, stay there to worship Allah and to increase in your obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the definition of al-i'tikaf. The first narration then, it talks about the taraweeh and the encouragement to pray the taraweeh. It's a hadith of Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من قام رمضان إيمانا واحتسابا غفر له ما تقدم من ذنبه that whomsoever stands in Ramadan meaning stands in the taraweeh prayer during Ramadan with iman iman in Allah and the promise of Allah وَاحْتِسَابًا Meaning sincerely for the sake of Allah, desiring the reward from Allah. Then that person, غُفِرَ لَهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِنْ ذَنْبِهِ Then his previous sins will be forgiven. A person who prays the taraweeh during Ramadan with iman in Allah and sincerely for the sake of Allah, not just because he has to, not feeling like it's a burden he wants to get to the end of, but rather he prays with iman, loving it as an act of worship sincerely for the sake of Allah. Then that person who does that during Ramadan, his past sins will be forgiven, the hadith mentions. So this hadith gives you a an encouragement upon praying the taraweeh, during Ramadan, there are certain points to note that this promise in this hadith 
of your sins being forgiven if you pray the taraweeh with iman and sincerity. It only applies if you pray every single night of Ramadan. If you pray the taraweeh every single night of Ramadan, then you have this promise in this narration that the past sins are forgiven. If a person only prays on some nights and misses other nights, then you miss out on this particular promise. But of course you get the other reward, the general reward for praying, uh, for praying the taraweeh. You get the reward generally, of course. But to get this specific reward of having your past sins forgiven, then that requires that a person prays every single night the taraweeh. On top of that, there is the issue of the sins being forgiven. What types of sins would be forgiven? All sins or certain types of sins? Generally, sins are of two categories. There are two types of sins. Minor sins and major sins. This narration appears to indicate, appears to indicate, all types of sins will be forgiven, minor and major. Because the narration is open, whoever prays the taraweeh with iman and sincerity, then all of his past sins will be forgiven. It's very open, indicating minor, major, all of your past sins. However, we know that in order to understand the religion properly and accurately, you cannot take narrations independently in isolation, uh, separated from the other narrations of the sunnah. Because if you do that, and you take narrations independently and isolated away from everything else, you may end up with an incorrect understanding of that narration. In order to gain the accurate understanding of the narration, you need to put it into the context of the rest of the sunnah. So when you put this narration into the context of the rest of the sunnah, of the rest of the revelation, it then becomes clear that the meaning of it is actually the minor sins. That becomes clear, for example, when you put it into the context of the ayah in the Qur'an, إِن تَجْتَنِبُوا كَبَائِرَ مَا تُنْهَوْنَ عَنْهُ نُكَفِّرْ عَنْكُمْ سَيِّئَاتِكُمْ That if you stay away from the major sins we have prohibited you from, then we will expiate your other sins. What are the other sins? Minor sins. So it's the minor sins that are expiated with these acts of worship. The minor sins that should be, or that would be expiated with these good deeds. There are narrations, for example, As-salawatu al-khams, wal-jum'atu ila al-jum'a, wa Ramadan ila Ramadan, mukaffiratun lima baynahun. That the five prayers, one to the next, and the jum'a, one to the next, and the Ramadan, one to the next, are an expiation for the sins that occur in between. 
expiation for the sins that occur in between. And of course, that is referring to the minor sins. Expiation for the minor sins that occur in between. So this narration is therefore an encouragement for the believer to strive with the taraweeh on every night. Every night the person should pray that. And unless somebody has circumstances that are preventing him from praying due to work or other types of things of that nature, a person who is able but doesn't, then to a degree for many people that will indicate a weakness in iman. That there is such a great opportunity for a great amount of reward. And it's not like the people, many of them pray the taraweeh the rest of the year. Taraweeh, it can be prayed all year, anytime. The only difference being in Ramadan, it's prayed together in jama'ah in the mosque. For the rest of the year, it's not sunnah to pray together in jama'ah in the mosque. It's sunnah to just pray by yourselves. You get up at home at night after Isha, you pray taraweeh. For the rest of the year, it's sunnah to do that. Very few people do that. Very few people will get up in the night and pray the taraweeh the rest of the 11 months of the year. So now this one month at least, the month of virtue and blessing, a person should strive at least in this month that he makes sure he prays the taraweeh every single night. Not getting lazy one night and saying it's an optional prayer, it's no big deal. It's an optional prayer. But why are you going to forfeit all of that reward for yourself? Why are you going to abandon all of that reward for yourself? And all you have to do is go and stand in prayer for an hour which you have and you're going to be relaxing and staying up anyway. Makes no sense to forfeit and to deprive yourself of the reward. So this is a great encouragement in this narration for the one who prays every night sincerely and with iman that your past minor sins are all forgiven. Then after that, we come to this issue, the side issue linked to that, which is, when you're praying the taraweeh, how many raka'at are you supposed to pray? Is it eight? Is it twenty? Is it more? Is it less? How many raka'at are you supposed to pray? Anyone? Twenty. Hmm? Twenty. 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 If we look at some of the facts to begin with, it's agreed that the Prophet ﷺ himself never prayed more than, with the witr included, how many? 11, and in one hadith it, just, it does say 13, maximum 13. That he used to pray the, witr, the taraweeh and then witr all added up 13, maximum. Most people now uh, do 11, 8 and then witr. And that's a narration to 11. But in another narration, maximum it says 13. 
The Prophet ﷺ never prayed more than that, ever, any night. When he used to pray, that's the maximum he used to pray. So then based upon that, the action of the Prophet ﷺ himself, it would indicate that you don't go beyond the eight, and then you add your witr, 11 or 13, and that's it. You don't go up to 20 or anything like that. If you were to stick to what the Prophet ﷺ himself actually used to do, then you would stick to that lower number, because he never went to the higher number. However, there are some other evidences that would seem to indicate that just because the Prophet ﷺ himself never used to go beyond that figure, it doesn't mean that it's haram to go beyond that figure. Sometimes the Prophet ﷺ may have done something in a certain way, but it doesn't mean you're not allowed to do it above that or some other slightly addition to that or something of that nature. It doesn't indicate restriction. So what they say is, okay, the Prophet ﷺ never prayed more, but he never said it's haram for you to pray more. He never said it's haram for you to pray more. That's what he used to do. That was his example. But if you want to pray more, there is no prohibition in the sunnah anywhere telling you you can't. And they say the sahaba, some of the sahaba used to pray 20 and they used to pray more. So they say therefore that means that the Prophet ﷺ prayed a certain number. He never went over that number. But some of the sahaba did Therefore, they must have understood that just because the Prophet was praying a certain number, that didn't mean it was haram to pray more. That's why they prayed more. If they understood it's haram to pray more, they would have never prayed more. So some scholars say it's allowed to go more than eight. They have other evidences too. One of them is a hadith where a man came to the Prophet and said, Asked the Prophet ﷺ, how do I pray the night prayer? The Prophet ﷺ said to him, Mathna, Mathna. Pray it in twos. Pray two raka'at, give the salam. Two raka'at again, give the salam. Two raka'at again, give the salam. In twos, twos, twos. And he left him at that. So now that man's gonna go away and he's gonna pray his taraweeh. He's gonna pray in Tuz, salam, tuz, salam, because that's what the Prophet ﷺ just told him, that's how you pray. How many is he going to end up praying? Four? Eight? Maybe more, maybe twelve, fourteen, eighteen, twenty, twenty-four, thirty. Did the Prophet ﷺ tell him, you have to stop at eight? No. He just said to him, pray in twos. You want to pray the night prayer, pray in twos. And he left him at that. So, left it open. The man may go away and pray 30, all in twos. He may pray 40, all in twos. The Prophet ﷺ just said to him, make sure you pray it in twos. Didn't tell him there's a limit. Pray it in twos until you get to eight, and then wait till that's it. Did he say that? No. So some of the scholars say, there you go, that's another proof. It's another proof that you are not restricted to eight. Because the man came asking and the Prophet ﷺ didn't restrict him to eight. He just said to him, go and pray in twos. So there are these types of evidences 
that some scholars use to say you can pray more than eight and that it's allowed. Other scholars, of course, they say no, it's not. Some scholars say no, it's not. Why? Because they say, look, you have to follow the Prophet's example. He never prayed more than eight. And then the witter on top, 11 altogether or 13 altogether. He never used to go more than that. We know that for definite because there's a hadith of Aisha. Radiallahu anha, she said the Prophet never prayed more than that. He never prayed 20 or anything. So they'll say it's bid'ah for you to pray 20 in those numbers. Why? Very simply because the Prophet never did. So some scholars stick to that and they say don't go above that. Stick to exactly what the Prophet used to do. And that makes sense. But other scholars, they say, no, but that man when he came and he asked, how do I pray the Prophet ﷺ, just said to him, go and pray in twos. He didn't tell him stop at eight. If it was haram to go more than eight, the Prophet ﷺ there and then would have told him, pray in twos, but only go up to eight. Isn't that an important piece of information? The man is asking, how shall I pray taraweeh? Wouldn't it be important to tell him, okay, pray in twos, but you're only allowed to go up to eight. Remember that too. Isn't that an important piece of information? They say in uh, uh, Islamic law, لا يجوز تأخير البيان عن وقت الحاجة. It is Islamically, it is impermissible to delay clarifying something from the point of necessity. It is impermissible to delay clarifying something, explaining something from the time when it's needed. This man now came asking, how do I pray the night prayer? He now needs the information of how to go away and pray. What would you tell him? Okay, you tell him pray in twos. And then is it not a vital piece of information to tell him, but remember it's only eight raka'at and then witr. Isn't that an obvious and vital piece of information to give him? So why did the Prophet not give him that information? They say because it must not have been a vital piece of information. It's allowed to go beyond eight, and that's why the Prophet ﷺ never mentioned it to him. So they use those types of evidences, like we said, and say, you can pray more than eight. Yes, the Prophet stuck to that, but that doesn't mean it's haram to go more. You can go more. And some of the Sahaba used to go more, they say. So you have a difference of opinion about those issues. It's not something to start debating over. Some of the people of desires, they want to start debating with you on this issue. They say, you Wahhabis, you only pray eight. Say to them, no problem. Alhamdulillah, there are differences of opinion on this issue. Some scholars, Salafi scholars, even say you can pray 20, no problem. Say to them, I don't want to debate with you. Even Salafi scholars, some of them say you can pray 20, no problem. Then he's going to say, what shall I do now? So you don't need to debate about these issues. They want to come debate with you. They think, yes, we're going to debate them. They only say eight. Salafi scholars, they say 20, some of them. Even in the Haram, in Makkah, Medina, don't they pray 20? On the last 10 nights, they pray 30. On the last 10 nights, they even go more than 20, 30 they pray, with the width of 33. And in the old times, the, some of the scholars, they used to do that. 30, 33, different numbers. So that's not an issue to start debating over. They come and try to debate you on that issue, say to them, Aqeedah. We'll debate Aqeedah and Tahawi and these things if you want to debate. Because those are the things they can't debate. These issues of fiqh, it doesn't, it's not a, a big issue. There is more space and leeway with them. So that is regarding the issue of the taraweeh. Then, the next narration after that, Aisha again, عن Aisha رضي الله عنها قالت, 
Kana Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Iza dakhala al-ashru Ay al-ashru al-akhira min Ramadhan Shadda mi'zara Wa ahya laylah Wa ayqadha ahlah Muttafaqun alayh Hadith in al-Bukhari al-Muslim That when the last ten nights used to come in This hadith talking about the last ten nights of Ramadhan when the last ten nights of Ramadan used to come in, Aisha radiallahu anha says, The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam shadda mi'zara. That means that he used to strive and work hard with worship even more. Even more than what he'd been doing in the first twenty days of Ramadan. In the last ten extra, extra on top of all of that. Even more hard work in worship. وَأَحْيَا لَيْلَهُ And he used to pray whole night, تراويح, all night praying. وَأَيْقَضَ أَهْلَ And he used to wake up his family so they can do the worship and pray as well. So this narration is talking about the last 10 nights of Ramadan. The scholars, they say, the last 10 nights of Ramadan are the best 10 nights of the whole year. They are the most blessed and most virtuous nights of the whole year. The last 10 nights of Ramadan. What about the last 10 days of Ramadan? Are they the best 10 days of the year as well? The last 10 nights of Ramadan are the best 10 nights of the year. But what about the days? The last 10 days are therefore also the best 10 days of the year or not? so there are 10 days of the year that are better than the 10 days, the last 10 days of Ramadan. They are the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. Basically, the, not this Eid, what you call the big Eid. The big Eid, when that comes, that comes on the 10th of Dhul Hijjah, the Islamic month of Dhul Hijjah. The 10th of Dhul Hijjah is big Eid. Those 10 days leading up to it, 1st of Dhul Hijjah, 2nd of Dhul Hijjah, 3rd of Dhul Hijjah, leading up to Big Eid, those 9 days prior to it, onto the 10th of Dhul Hijjah Eid, they are the best 10 days of the year, in terms of days. Those 10 days, and that's why you're supposed to do worship and strive in those 10 days too. The 10 days or the 9 days leading up to Eid. The 10 nights are here. So you remember the two Eids. For this Eid, the last 10 nights leading up to it are the best 10 nights of the year. The next Eid, the 10 days up to it are the best 10 days of the year. So here in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, the Prophet ﷺ, which literally means that he used to tighten his, the, the izar, the, what do you call it? The robe. The, the, the cloth 
type of thing that you wear, the cloth that you might wear. Uh, the elders know what's going on, the youngsters don't. Huh? What do you call it? Longi. Longi? Is that what it is? The waistband, you know, the waistband. The... Hey, well, that's it, what you tie around at the bottom. So it, literally the hadith means the Prophet used to tighten that. What that means is, tighten it, i.e. that, like, like we might say, like, you know, you roll up your sleeves or something. That getting ready, getting ready to do worship. Preparing to do lots of worship. So, in the last ten nights, he used to strive even more. Shammara wa shadda al-mi'zar, ay jadda wa shtahada. And he used to pray the night. He used to pray the night. وَمَنْ نَامَ اللَّيْلِ فَقَدْ أَمَاتَ لَيْلَهُ so this indicates that in the last 10 nights, the Prophet ﷺ used to pray a lot. He used to pray more than he used to pray in the first 20. That doesn't necessarily mean that he used to pray more raka'at. Some scholars will say it does, maybe. But it could just mean that he used to pray the prayer longer. So in any case, he used to pray more in the last 10 nights than he used to pray in the first 20 days of Ramadan. Also it mentions in the hadith, he used to wake up his family. He used to wake up his family and his kids, the children, the, the wives, so that they could uh, also uh, pray, waking up the family so they can participate in that virtue and blessing and that worship of the nights, the last ten nights. And that is what a person should do, encourage himself and his family to uh, use those opportunities, Ramadan as a whole, but in particular the last ten nights. Then, it moves on to talking about something else which occurs in the last ten nights, and that is, اعتكاف. Hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha again, أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ كَانَ يَعْتَكِفُ الْعَشْرَ الْأَوَاخِرِ مِنْ رَمَضَانِ حَتَّى تَوَفَّاهُ اللَّهِ ثُمَّ اعْتَكَفَ أَزْوَاجُهُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ That... The Prophet ﷺ used to do i'tikaf in the last 10 of Ramadan. And he did that every year until he died. And then after that, his wives used to do i'tikaf. Initially, initially, it is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ actually used to do i'tikaf in the middle 10 days of Ramadan. It is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ at first used to do i'tikaf in the middle 10 days of Ramadan. But then when the revelation came about Laylatul Qadr being in the last 10, so then the Prophet ﷺ changed the days of his i'tikaf to the last 10, so that he could be in the mosque, in worship, in prayer when Laylatul Qadr happens. So initially he used to do it in the middle 10 and then he moved it to the last 10, the i'tikaf. What are some of the rulings for i'tikaf then? I'tikaf, like we said, it is that you stick to the masjid, you stay there and you do your worship and you do your obedience, your prayer, your Quran, your dua, and you free yourself up from everything else to be there in worship. So when a person is in i'tikaf, you're supposed to spend time yourself. 
reading Quran, prayer, dua, etc. You're not supposed to socialize in the mosque with everybody else doing i'tikaf. You're not supposed to sit around with the other people doing i'tikaf, talking all day on your phones all day, on the internet all day. That's not the purpose of i'tikaf. I'tikaf doesn't just mean stay in the mosque and that's it. It means stay in the mosque and do lots of worship. That's the point of i'tikaf. Not just stay in the mosque. People think as long as I stay in the mosque last 10 nights, that's i'tikaf. Spend all of those 10 days relaxing, talking with their friends all day, all night, just sleeping uh, and talking. And they think that's i'tikaf, I stayed in the mosque. More than that, i'tikaf is you stay in the mosque and do your worship. That you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do lots of Quran, lots of prayer, lots of dua. By yourself, don't spend time talking with others, even the others are doing i'tikaf. Spend time alone as much as possible to do worship. That's the point of i'tikaf. So a person is supposed to spend it like that, with as much worship as possible. It must be done in the masjid. I'tikaf is done in the mosque. What about women though? How do women do i'tikaf? At home? In the mosque? So, i'tikaf is supposed to be done in the mosque. I'tikaf at home, some people say the women should just do the i'tikaf at home, in their room or whatever, stay there and do the worship. But that isn't the sunnah i'tikaf. The sunnah way of i'tikaf is in the mosque. That's the place to do i'tikaf. I'tikaf isn't really in the house, it's in the mosque. So even the women... They are supposed to do i'tikaf if they can do it in the mosque. They have to get permission, of course, from their husbands, from their fathers, etc. If they get permission from their husbands, fathers, whoever, they say you can go. And the mosque has the facilities for them, separate room and wash area and everything, properly segregated, no doors coming in like this, nothing like that, properly segregated and secure, and they got permission, then they can go to the mosque and do i'tikaf. It is done in the mosque. I'tikaf for women at home in the room, that isn't the sunnah style of i'tikaf. That isn't what i'tikaf is. It's supposed to be in the mosque. So they get permission, and if the mosque has proper secure facilities, they can go and do i'tikaf in the mosque. How many days does i'tikaf have to be then? Ten days, huh? But what if a person can't do ten days? What if you got somebody... He's working away, he's got his shifts, he's working five days a week, six days a week, mashaAllah, and he's only got one day off every week, every Sunday. So in the last ten nights, he's only going to get one Sunday, maybe two Sundays free. So what's he going to do? How is he going to do it? Take off if he wants to do it. Only our days. Mm-hmm. That's, it's not a condition. It's not a condition, even on days. I'tikaf, according to your ability. If somebody is now working, for example, and they've only got the weekend off. So in the last 10 days, let's say one weekend falls in the last 10 days. That one weekend, on a Friday evening, they can come into the masjid, make the intention of i'tikaf, stay there till Sunday night, and then leave, go home. That weekend counts as i'tikaf for them. So it's not necessitated, you have to do all 10 days. It doesn't even necessitate odd numbers. Just whatever you're allowed to do, or what you're able to do. Even less than that, imagine somebody, 
the only time they could squeeze out in the last 10 days because of everything else was half a day. Half a day on a Sunday they got time. Everything else completely impossible. That half a day on Sunday from 3 p.m. till the night, they can come to the mosque, make intention of i'tikaf, sit there by themselves, do their worship, pray, leave the evening. Those few hours will count as an intention of i'tikaf for them. So there's no restriction to the timing. But of course, the one who can do all of the 10 days, that's where your full reward is. That's the way to do it. But if you can't do all 10 days, 5 days, 4 days, 2 days, 1 day, half a day, then you can make the intention to do that. What you can't do though is, uh, for example, go there, make the intention of i'tikaf for a day. And then in the evening say, my intention it's no more intention. You go home in the evening, relax. Next day come back and say, I make my intention for today again. Then in the evening go home again. Next day come and make my intention again for the day. You can't just make mini intentions throughout. You can't just do that and relax and go home whenever, then come back and say, I make a new intention for i'tikaf again. When you make i'tikaf, you're supposed to stay in the mosque. You only exit, as we're going to see in these narrations coming up, you only exit if there is a necessity. There is some absolute necessity, emergency, then okay, you can exit. But otherwise, when you make the intention for i'tikaf, then you stay in the mosque. You don't just decide, okay, I'm going to make the intention for a day, I'll go home and relax, then the next day I'll come back and do another two days, then go home and relax. That's not the way to do it. If you're free and you have time, then you're supposed to make the intention and stay. But if you're not, and you're only able to do a certain time, then okay, you can make the intention for that time, do it and go. So that is regarding the i'tikaf. You have another hadith here. كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا أراد أن يعتكف صلى الفجر ثم دخل معتكفه. This hadith now tells us that when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم wanted to do the i'tikaf, he would pray fajr and then go into i'tikaf. He would pray fajr and then go into i'tikaf. So when does i'tikaf begin is the question. When do you go into i'tikaf? Hmm? What do you say? 20th? 20th day? So today was the 11th day. Today we are in the 11th day of fasting. So, tomorrow will be the 12th, Tuesday will be 13th, Wednesday will be 14th, Thursday will be 15th, Friday will be 16th, Saturday will be 17th, Sunday will be 18th, Monday will be 19th, Tuesday will be the 20th. So are you saying on Tuesday at Maghrib, you go into the mosque and start? 20th day, Maghrib time, go into the mosque and start. That is an opinion. That is an opinion of some of the scholars. On the 20th day, at Maghrib time that day, which basically means you've now gone into the 21st night. That's going to be the 21st night that you start then. Some scholars say, no, the day before, the 19th day at Maghrib. So that you start from the 
20th night. That's the first night of the last 10. So you start then. This hadith says, on the 20th day, Tuesday, at Fajr time. Next Tuesday, Suhoor time, have your Suhoor and go in. So that will be like how we think of it as Monday night. Monday night, which is after midnight, Tuesday morning now. So Tuesday morning after, after Fajr, at uh, 4, 4, 4 a.m., it's now Tuesday. Tuesday morning. So you'd start then, according to one opinion. So there's a few opinions about that, either on the 20th day at Maghrib, or the 19th day at Maghrib, or the 20th day at Fajr time in the morning, first thing. Around about there, to basically catch the last 10 days and the last 10 nights. <coughs> Here it says the Prophet ﷺ started after Fajr. So how come everybody, so many people start at Maghrib? Here it says, كَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ إِذَا أَرَادَ أَنْ يَعْتَكِفْ صَلَّى الْفَجْرِ ثُمَّ دَخَلَ مُعْتَكَفَ Bukhari Muslim When the Prophet was going to do i'tikaf, he would pray Fajr, then go into the i'tikaf. So what does that mean then? How come everybody goes Maghrib then? There is an opinion about Maghrib and there are narrations about Maghrib. This narration, they say what it means is, some of the scholars say this explanation, that the Prophet ﷺ actually would start the i'tikaf the night before at Maghrib. He would go into the mosque, pray, stay, do more prayer, worship, pray the Isha, stay there all night praying, all night there praying. Pray Fajr, then after Fajr he would go into, you know how now they make the curtains and everything in your area, your small tent area. That after Fajr was the first time he would go into his area. After Maghrib, he would go into the mosque, everything ready, start. He's in i'tikaf. Pray the Maghrib, carry on there, stay there, worship Quran, pray Isha, carry on there, prayer all night, Quran all night, pray Fajr. After Fajr then would be the first time he actually goes into his area. That's what they say this hadith means, some of the scholars. But uh, he would pray Fajr, then go into his i'tikaf, meaning his area, his how you make the curtains and things now. His area, that's what they used to do in those days too, like a, a curtain type of thing. So he would go into that area after Fajr. So from Maghrib till Fajr, he wouldn't sleep, wouldn't go in there, all worship in the mosque. And then only go into the corner, his area after Fajr. That's what some of the scholars mention. And so that's why many people, they take that opinion of starting at Maghrib time the night before, which is a legitimate opinion. The last hadith we'll mention here today, عن عائشة again, رضي الله عنها, إن كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يدخل علي رأسه وهو في المسجد فأرجله وكان لا يدخل البيت إلا لحاجة إذا كان معتكفا. متفق عليه. Again, a hadith in Bukhari Muslim. That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to put his head through. You remember the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, right on the other side of the wall was the house of the Prophet ﷺ. So that if he looked out of the window of the mosque, that was his house on the other side. Through the window was his house on the other side, connected. Next door was the house and this was the mosque. So by looking through the window, he was now looking into his own house, by, uh, through the gap. So it mentions, Aisha radiallahu anha says that he would put his head through that, so now he's like into his house, and that she would comb his hair. He was still in the mosque, in the mosque side, hasn't gone out and gone into his house, in the mosque, but he would look through that window area, and she would comb his hair. 
the purpose of, and then she says, he wouldn't actually come into the house, he wouldn't come out and into the house, unless there was a necessity, when he was in i'tikaf. So, the hadith is showing us, the fiqh of this hadith is, that when you're in i'tikaf, it is not permissible to leave the mosque. If you've made an intention now, this weekend, or this 10 days, I'm in i'tikaf. You've made that intention, you've gone prepared, you've got your area, you're in i'tikaf. You've made that intention now, you're not supposed to leave the mosque. You're not supposed to leave the mosque, unless there is some necessity. So even with food and things, you should organize brothers to bring you food, so you can have your iftar, you can have suhoor, tell brothers to organize it. Those kinds of things, you should get organized, so that you don't have to leave the mosque for anything. The i'tikaf, the point of it is, sticking to the mosque and staying there. So this hadith says, that the Prophet never used to come out and come into the house. And it was right there, through the window, that's the house. Come out of the door, you're in the house. But the Prophet never used to. When he was in i'tikaf, in the masjid, that's it. Not walking even just that five steps to go into the house. No exiting from the mosque in i'tikaf. He would only look through that window area, she would comb his hair. But he's in the mosque, staying in the masjid. Not going out through into the house, nothing. So that is the ruling for i'tikaf. If you have a necessity... Like for example, nobody's bringing you any food. No friends left. Nobody's going to bring you any food for iftar, for suhoor, nothing. You asked, you rang everybody, nobody answering their phone, everybody hanging up on you. You need to get some food. Necessity, absolute necessity. No way, nothing else. You got no choice. You're going to have to walk outside and go to that takeaway and get something or to your house and get something. Necessity, you gotta get something. They say, for example, if you were in a mosque where there was no wash facilities, shower, 10 days i'tikaf, maybe after a few days, uh, for example, a wet dream occurred. There's no shower facilities in the mosque. You had a wet dream. You have to make also necessity. You're gonna have to go out to your house and make also and come straight back again. So, oh, medical reasons, you have some medical problems, suddenly you have to go to the hospital, you have to go. So when there's necessity, you have to go. But outside of necessity, you can't leave. You can't leave without necessity. So that is the ruling for i'tikaf too. We'll carry on with that next time. There's a, a one more session left, inshallah, should be on next week, uh, in which we'll talk about some more of the rulings of i'tikaf that are left, and then also about Laylatul Qadr. About Laylatul Qadr, what are the hadith mentioned about Laylatul Qadr? When is Laylatul Qadr? Are there any hadith that pinpoint 27th or 25th or what? About Laylatul Qadr, inshallah, we'll talk about next week as well. Uh, same time again, inshallah, roughly 7 p.m. So we'll conclude upon that for today then. Any questions on that? Some scholars they say it is. Some scholars they say you mean in Ramadan. Yeah, some scholars they say that it's better to pray tarawih at home. It's an opinion of some scholars. Because there is a hadith which says that all of the prayers for the men are better at home except for the obligatory prayers. 
Which ones are they obligatory? Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha. Those you have to pray in the mosque. Outside of those, the hadith says, all other optional prayers, you get more reward in the house. So some scholars say, Taraweeh, what is it? Obligatory or optional? Optional. optional. So they say there's more reward in the house. But that's small opinion. The bigger opinion, stronger opinion for Taraweeh is to come and pray in congregation. Because they say, look, the Prophet what did he do? He came and prayed in jama'ah, congregation. Everybody came the first night, the second night. He only stopped because he feared that the revelation may come making it obligatory. After he died, Umar ibn Khattab, what did he used to do? Get everybody together and pray in jama'ah. So the scholars say that's better. For this one, it's a, a, a different, it's optional prayer, but this one is better in jama'ah with everybody. Hmm. For what? You mean if somebody's reading 20? Yeah, yeah. It's allowed. It's allowed. And because you can pray any number. There's no restriction. You can pray 8, you can pray 12, you can pray 14 and leave. But you have to remember one thing though. There is a hadith that says, if you start with the imam, Isha, and then after Isha, the taraweeh, and then after taraweeh, the witr, if you do all of that, start from the beginning, from Isha, Witter, uh, taraweeh, witter, everything, then go, you'll get the reward of praying the whole night. So if you stay with the Imam till 12.30 and do all of it till witter, you'll get the reward of praying till 3 o'clock. All night reward. If you stay till the end. If you go early, then you don't get that. That's the only thing that you have to think about as well. If you leave early, then you don't get that reward of praying the whole night. But if you stay with the Imam till he finishes witter, everything, then go. Then even the rest of the night you can go home and go to sleep for two hours. Half past twelve you finish, go sleep for two hours if you want. You'll be getting the reward like you're praying. That's the one who uh, prays the whole night with the imam. Up to witr. So that's the only thing to remember. But otherwise it is allowed. If you want, if you had to go after eight or whatever, it's allowed to go. Anything else? In that case, we'll conclude on that. And inshallah carry on with the class next week.